0: Okay, so uh, back at it.
1: We are back at it. Welcome back to another edition of the Pistols Firing Podcast. I'm Carson Cunningham, joined as always by Colby Powell. Colby, uh, have you calmed down yet from the debacle that was Oklahoma State, Missouri State? Carson, I am sitting in my house right now.
0: The air conditioner is out. It is hot because it is still summer in September. And somehow my air conditioner is still in better shape than Oklahoma State's run game. So <laughs> have I calmed down? I would say not entirely.
1: So you're, you're sweating already before we started the podcast.
0: Yes. And it's only going to get worse. When's that getting
1: fixed? It's getting uh, hot out there.
0: Yeah, it was actually the furnace that went out, which controls the evaporator, whatever. I don't know. Not an HVAC expert, but they ordered the parts, new motor, new blower, new capacitor, whatever. Uh, Parts will be in Thursday. They're hoping to get out here Thursday if the parts get in early enough. If not, they'll be out here Friday. We do have like a little portable unit that we're kind of using to keep it manageable, but it's not exactly comfortable.
1: It never fails, right? It's always like mild in the few weeks leading up to football season. And then the first game, it's always like 97 degrees like it was on Saturday. And your AC goes out uh, immediately. So that stinks.
0: Yeah, it was so hot in Stillwater. It's we sit in the West End Zone and I can't imagine not sitting in the West End Zone because I mean, you're in the shade for pretty much most of the hot games unless it's an 11 a.m. kick, even the 230 kicks, you usually get in the shade for the second half uh, a lot of the times. If you're not in the West End Zone, if you're sitting down on, like, the East End, you are just in the sun until about 8 o'clock at night. And it was so hot in Stillwater. I do not envy those people.
1: Yeah, you get that that awkward sunburn on just one side of your face that way. That happened to me in the student section when I was in college. So, that that's never fun. And it was brutally hot. And that that turf, too, if you ever go down to the field, it's just brutal when it gets that hot. So, uh, Lots of things were hot. Not, not Oklahoma State's offense, but um, we're going to hear from Chris University Spirit later in the show for the uniform review. So, Colby, let's just hop right into it, man. You know, the first drive of the game, I'm sitting there watching on ESPN Plus because I was at the TV station. And, you know, Shane Ellingworth comes in. They, they light it up, throwing the football. Tay Martin looks like freaking Tylan Wallace. And all is right in the world. And I sat there and thinking going, my exact thought was, this team's loaded. They have young talent all over the field. This team might be going to Jerry world. Like I, everything I was bullish on coming into the year was coming to fruition. That that opening drive was outstanding and it was pretty much downhill from there, but just, you know, Spencer Sanders didn't get the start. There was, you know, a lot of rumors about him with COVID clearly those came to fruition. Um, But man, Cole, the first drive looked great. And it just, we can go over what all happened after that, but man, the opening drive was really impressive. The opening drive was
0: really impressive. It, uh, I mean, after 60 minutes, it kind of looked like fool's gold, but the opening drive was really impressive, and that kind of makes me wonder if they came out, you know, with the first drive scripted and everything was good, and then for whatever reason, it just didn't go well after that. But, yeah, first drive was great. Tay Martin, who I've been stumping for all offseason, I've, I've said he's going to be the guy. He's going to be the number one. He's going to lead the team in receiving. Uh, he looked great. Everything was awesome. But – I don't know, was it almost kind of ominous whenever they drive right down the field and then Alex Hale, Hale comes out and shakes the extra point? Was that almost kind of <laughs> ominous for what was going to take place the next 57 minutes?
1: Yes, it was. And um, again, I, I, I do think an interesting point Brian Keating made on crashing the boards or I think it was off the air, but I think he's right about Ellingworth. I think that opening drive kind of made him a little greedy. Throughout the rest of the game. You know, he missed some some deep balls. He was kind of going for the jugular after that first drive instead of just kind of taking it what the defense gives him and sustaining drives. And so I, I do think there was a little bit of that, Colby. Do you to where it looked like Illingworth after that first drive, everything clicked everything, he hit every pass and it just kind of felt like he was trying to be Mason Rudolph and, and hit the deep ball every time? Yeah,
0: I don't I don't know about greedy as much as I mean, I I Look, I don't want to just slam Shane Illingworth all day, but I just thought he was inaccurate. A lot of the game, I just thought he was inaccurate, especially on the deep ball, because they throw a bunch of deep balls. Many of them were underthrown. You had the one pass interference on Tay Martin in the corner of the end zone. That pass interference existed because the ball was massively underthrown. Uh, So the defender ran through Tay Martin as he tried to come back. There was another one that was underthrown. Uh, The interception that he threw. Here's what the problem was with the interception that he threw. Yes, it was a bad read. It was a bad throw. It never should have gone there. The play before. Easily could have been intercepted if the defender would have been looking at the ball instead of Brennan Presley. The play before was a deep ball that he threw into double coverage. Had the ball been on target, it would have been intercepted. Fortunately, he overthrew the receiver in the end zone by about five yards. Otherwise, the only guy there to catch it would have been Missouri State's safety. So I just thought, particularly on the deep balls, Shane Ellingworth was mostly inaccurate throughout the night, and it just... They were taking a lot of deep shots and getting themselves in third and long situations, especially with the inability to run the ball. And I just, I didn't really think it was there for Ellingworth on Saturday. First drive was great. I mean, after that, it was pretty much one touchdown drive the entire rest of the game for the offense. I know they scored two more touchdowns, but Missouri State handed them one by fumbling a snap. And then LD Brown took it 11 yards uh, on a on a draw play uh, to the end zone. So uh, really Shane Ellingworth led an opening touchdown drive and then pretty much let them down the field one more time the last 56 minutes of the game.
1: Yep. I mean there was after that first drive I was like man, we might have a quarterback controversy, but it's clear that this offense needs Spencer Sanders legs because Colby I think the number one, you know, takeaway from this game is the fact that Oklahoma State could not run the football whatsoever against a Missouri State FCS opponent. I mean they averaged 1.9 yards per carry. You know, I was bullish on the young playmakers at receiver, which we'll get to. And I was bullish on the offensive line. I thought the offensive line would be better this year. And it was terrible. It was absolutely terrible against Missouri State. And that's, that's an, you talk about bad omens and and ominous with the extra point shank. I mean, if you can't run the football against Missouri State, that does not bode well at all for the remaining portion of the schedule, the remaining season you have in front of you when, you're going to be relying on on Sanders running around and, and throwing deep balls if you can't run the football. So I, for all the talk about the offensive line and, and the four running backs, that was a clear, clear weakness on Saturday.
0: Carson, 28 rushes for 54 yards, and the longest run of the game came on a reverse to Braden Johnson. Braden Johnson went 13 yards on a reverse. 13 felt like 50 in the game against Mighty Missouri State on Saturday. So you take away the 13 on the reverse, because that's not true run game. That's misdirection. That's 27 carries for 41 yards. LD has 15 carries for 30 yards. That includes an 11-yard touchdown. I just... It was so bad. I could not believe it. I was sitting next to my dad in the stands, and I just – I felt like a broken record. I kept repeating myself. I kept just saying, we can't move Missouri State off the line of scrimmage. Missouri State. Did Missouri State sell out to stop the run? Yes, they did. Do I care? No. No. I don't. They're Missouri State. The offensive line should be better than it has been in the past. Gundy talked yesterday about how seemingly there was always just one breakdown on the line, and it wasn't always in the same spot. Sometimes it was on the left side, right side. Sometimes it was at the center. There was just always a breakdown on the offensive line, and I'm sorry, but we've just heard this story too many times where, for whatever reason, those five just can't get it together, and I'm sorry, but 28 for 54 against Missouri State is not only unacceptable, I I think it's incredibly ominous looking toward the rest of the season whenever you look at some of the offensive lines in the past that have really struggled to run block some of those early Mason Rudolph lines that really struggled to run block and Spencer Sanders will help that a lot but he won't just totally change everything. Uh, Now when he's in there, the the guys on the edge have to be honest. I think it's pretty obvious after Saturday uh, that this team is heavily reliant on Spencer Sanders, how good he can be this year, how much he's improved from a year ago, uh, how available he's going to be throughout the season. Uh, I think that this team is going Going to rely very heavily on one guy throughout the entire season because the offense that we saw Saturday night that offense just is not going to get it done top to bottom
1: it's really not and you know Dustin Ragusa from from Pistols Firing he, he posts uh, the offensive breakdowns on, on the PFB plus uh, site on the message boards and he, he broke down the the personnel groupings you know Colby you and I were just screaming from the mountaintops all summer like spread it out go 10 and 11 personnel Well. 72% of the time they did. They, they really, I think Dunn really made an effort to go four wide, get all that young talent receiver on the field, open things up. And he had to kind of regress to 12 and 13, even 20 personnel, just to try to g- gain a yard running the football. So I think Casey Dunn really wanted to, to run the old school OSU spread offense. He used to have a choice. He's like, we can't block. So we got to get more blockers in there. We get more cowboy backs in there and not even that didn't even work and and so th- that leaves me the question of are you just better off keeping it wide open with the receivers and trying to run the football rather than bunching it up because if you can't block with 20 personnel well then you're better off just getting guys more in space and, and using more short passing game and that, that kind of leads me to my my next question is just for all of the hate that Mike Yersich got and it was an unfathomable amount of hate for a uber successful offensive coordinator when is Casey Dunn going to start getting some hate I mean this is what is 12th 13th 14th game in charge I think I think Oklahoma State has scored 30 points or more Colby in four of their past 15 games four of their past 15 games they failed to get over failed to get 30 points this is like this isn't just bad by OSU standards It's bad by 2021 offensive college football standards. And and when is Casey Dunn going to start getting some criticism? Because it's time. This offense has looked terrible ever since he's been the OC. Yeah, it's, you know, this Oklahoma
0: State offense, I know that things have not been normal. I know that COVID happened. I know that things have been weird. It's just been weird. That being said, this is probably the worst stretch of offense that we have seen in the Mike Gundy era, maybe since that first year, maybe where he took over and he was changing things out. But after that, I mean, pretty much since, uh, let's say since Zach Robinson took over, was that was that fall of 07 that Robinson took over, Carson? Yes. Yeah. I mean, basically since fall of 07, I really can't think of a more inept Oklahoma state offense pretty much all around than what we've seen, uh, since the beginning of last season. And, you know, Spencer's had his problems with turnovers, but obviously they need him because he's kind of the machine that makes things go. It's, you know, I had a, uh, a guy sitting behind me in the stands on, on Saturday. And I think I made a comment to my wife or my dad, somebody. And I was like, you know, I really hope Spencer Sanders is back next week because this offense is struggling. And I don't know, uh, what this offense looks like if he doesn't come back pretty soon and i didn't hear him but i guess my wife told me the guy behind me in the stand said yeah that's just what we need spencer out there throwing interceptions and and look i totally understand that not the entire fan base is totally bought in on spencer sanders but if i have to choose between four or five touchdowns and one interception or uh fewer interceptions and a whole bunch more punts Give me the guy who can move the ball. I I don't need to watch the punter all season, and I just have a feeling that's what it's going to be with Illingworth. But, I mean, like you said with Dunn, For whatever reason, it just hasn't worked. Whatever he's dialing up, it's not confusing the opposite side. It looks bland. It looks vanilla. The middle of the field in the passing game, for some reason, has just ceased to exist. It's a lot of go routes. It's a lot of fades. It's a lot of outside stuff. Very little in the middle of the field. Very little use of cowboy backs or tight ends. Um, It just has seemed very vanilla, not only in week one against Missouri Missouri State, but last year felt very vanilla as well. So I think it's a big year. For Casey Dunn, because uh, I'll, I'll say this: if if this season offensively goes like last year did, if there are games where your defense has to win it for you because you can't score more than about 13 points,
1: uh, this could be a make or break year for Casey Dunn. Absolutely, and you're right; it is the worst stretch since Gundy's first year in 05 The numbers backed that up last year. It, it was their worst offensive season since Gundy. You're right; like tried to he was trying to run the spread offense with less miles. Uh, you know personnel and talent it just was like a square peg in a round hole that's why it was the worst season he's had but you're you're so right and i think dunn's built up a lot of goodwill with what he's done at the receiver position rightfully so he's been the best receiver coach in the country for my money in terms of all the talent he's he's produced and on the fade routes and stuff like i i love Jaden bray he he was one of the guys that stood out to me he looks the part he looks like everything we've heard about but you're right about like the fade like you run fade routes when you can't protect and are out of ideas. And, I, and I'm all for it when you got Tylen Wallace out there and it's, it's a, it's a one-on-one matchup, but they, they rely on it way too much. And maybe that's just all they want Ellingworth to have to do. It's a simple read. He doesn't have to do any zone read. And he, and he reads over the middle. Maybe they were just trying to protect him in that way. But at a certain point, you got to take the training wheels off. <laughs> you got to let him sink or swim. And and he's to me he's more than a game manager. And that's really all they asked him to do for the most part. And he did have some bad throws that you mentioned with the interceptions. But but no, I, I don't know, man. This is um this is this is bad. And I, I do think the heat is gonna ratchet up if they can't move the ball against Tulsa. And look, Tulsa's got a, a better defense than Missouri State, but I don't know, man. It's um the, the heat is starting to, to build for me with, with, with Casey Dunn. Now, again, when Spencer comes back, that's an extra blocker when he takes off and runs. But, but I'm with you, man. They, they have to get Sanders back on the field. It was kind of a bizarre deal, Colby. I mean, he's, he's in the COVID protocols. Mike Gundy on his Monday press conference was talking about how he doesn't know where he is. He's like, he could be dove hunting. He could be throwing the football to himself. It's just, it, it's just another setback for, for Spencer Sanders and a career chock full of them, really.
0: Yeah, it's I I can't really make sense of it. Um do we know if he has or had covid or if he's just in the protocols? Do we know that? I don't, I don't, I think don't we, do. we don't
1: we don't have any clarity and Gundy was very tight-lipped about it. So he didn't want to talk about injuries even though that's not really an injury, but I guess it it counts if you're out, but uh, he didn't really shed a whole lot of light on it, but he did he did say he expects Sanders back in a couple of days and that was on Monday, so I would hope he gets back sooner rather than later. They got to put in a game plan that's going to work against Tulsa because the one they had against Missouri state was, was an abomination. And Colby, I mean, as bad as the offense was, the defense played really well. Now they gave up some stuff, which you're going to do over the course of a full football game. But to me it was just like deja vu from last year where the defense time and time and time again gets put in horrible positions and time and time again comes through and gets a big stop to preserve a lead. And, really preserve a win. I mean, Missouri State was thrown into the end zone at the end of the game to to tie it up. And, and Bobby Petrino said he's going to go for two and try and win the game. So you got to give your you got to give a lot of credit to this OSU defense. As bad as it was on offense, this defense to me is as good as advertised.
0: Yeah, I mean, the reality is you were in an absolute dogfight with Missouri State, and with two minutes left in that game, we didn't know who was going to win it. That's the reality of the situation. And like you said, the defense had so much pressure on them because even after – the kickoff, which was a disaster, and LD Brown couldn't get on the kickoff, and Missouri State gets it back. So then you get the three, the four and out. You stop them. So now your offense takes back out onto the field, but I, uh, we actually left the game a little bit early. My wife's pregnant. Don't be mad at me. It's fine. Um, we left the game probably, it was 23 to nine with like 13 minutes left in the fourth quarter when we left. So we were listening to Hans Eicher and Holcomb and those guys uh, on the way back. And I knew that they had three timeouts, and Carson, my confidence level that Oklahoma State was going to be able to get one first down to ice the game was – it was almost
1: at a zero. Did you have any confidence that the offense was going to get one first down and seal the game? No, because they can't run the football. And no. and Missouri State knows that. I, I did like the fact that they threw it. Look, I know the, the criticism of, of Mike Gundy's time clock management is – or is valid in some instances, but they literally couldn't run the football. So he was trying to win the game. Like I, I didn't really have a problem with them throwing the football, but but no, my my confidence was was zero. I was I was looking at how much time was left and doing the math because I knew they were going to be punting it away.
0: Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree more. I liked the decision to throw the football, and it sounded like it was a miscommunication from Brayden Johnson and Shane Illingworth. Brayden Johnson beat his man off the line, and then he stopped his route because he was open. Illingworth thought he was going to continue his route. It didn't work. Incomplete, and they have to punt it away. But then again, your defense now twice in the last two and a half minutes of the game is put in a situation where you either get a stop or and, – and you don't have to get a stop on three downs. you got to get a stop on four downs, obviously – Or they're going to score and go for two, and you could lose to an FCS team in your home opener, which would have been just such an epic, epic disaster. I can't even wrap my mind around it. But the defense I thought was pretty good. Um, Trace Ford blowing out his other ACL on his other knee in practice is just another thing that doesn't look good for Oklahoma State. Terrible. Terrible. I mean, the defense still looked good, but Trace Ford's a huge, huge impact player, and him blowing out his other ACL in practice, man, that was really depressing when I saw that news, not only from a football standpoint, but he just really really seems like a a good young man, good head on his shoulders, a great player with a bright future. And the amount of work that he had to put in to be ready to take the field this season after tearing his ACL late last year is so, so hard to fathom. And now he's just got to go back and do it all again before he can hopefully play to start the 2022 season. So I just feel really bad for Trace Ford.
1: Yeah, me too. That's just – it's horrible. I mean, he was he's such a great player, and you're right. Everyone just raves about the kid that he is. And, man, that's – it's, you know, it was a downer the way the game played out, but it's a downer with losing Trace Ford for another year. And, and Colby, that's another concern for me moving forward is I've lost track of all the injuries. Mike Cundy has said so many guys are hurt that it's like, man, not only did you have a lackluster performance and almost lose to an FCS school – they are already beat up. They have so many injuries already just week one into the season. And that's, that's thoroughly discouraging considering we're only into week one. So I, uh, there's a lot of concerns moving forward. And, and the, the the miscommunication you mentioned with the receivers, that that's another thing that I was bullish on coming into the year that I mentioned was just all the young talent they have at wide receiver. But I, I was bullish on the offensive line. That was a huge dud. And I just think as young as these receivers are, Blaine Green, another injury. He's out for a while, according to Mike Gundy. Um, It doesn't appear with all the youth on the receiving core that there's much chemistry. Now, this was Illingworth. This wasn't Sanders, I grant you. But I, I have to think even when Sanders is in there with all these young players playing for the first time, it's just not going to be as seamless with the receiving core in the passing game. That, that That's a huge concern for me moving forward as well.
0: Yeah, I think so too. Like you said, Blaine Green was supposed to be the guy out there. Now Bryson Green was out there. Uh, whenever they were announcing his name over the the PA, I was like, "Hold, is that?" Bryson, because I thought Blaine was, and I went and checked the (laughs) depth chart, and I was like, okay, something must have happened. I mean, not only that, you had uh, Tay Martin, looked like he rolled an ankle. Tay Martin was a little hobbly in that second half.
1: Yeah, he Uh, was.
0: I mean, you don't know if that's going to linger. You don't know what that felt like whenever he woke up Sunday morning, and I'll say this, Carson, should Oklahoma State run over Tulsa? Absolutely, they should. Tulsa's not a good football team. They lost to an FCS program in week one. Tulsa also had a bunch of guys suspended, because if we'll remember, they played, I believe it was Mississippi State in a bowl game last year and they got an all-out brawl which ended the game um and a bunch of guys were suspended last week for Tulsa so it'll be a little different team taking the field for them on Saturday I should my confidence level be higher I I really don't know because there's so many question marks with whether Spencer's going to be out there uh I mean I'll be real honest with you if if Illingworth starts the game again on Saturday I will be um not shocked if it is a close game in the fourth quarter and either team has a chance to win because without a mobile quarterback I just don't see how this offense can can really operate fluidly
1: I'm with you uh, as confident as I was of Oklahoma State against Tulsa last week my confidence is waning quite a bit because even though Tulsa lost to an FCS school uh, Oklahoma State could have as well now it is Bobby Petrino we know he can coach and he did have like 30 D1 transfers on his team I don't know what he's doing to get those guys to miss to Missouri State the quarterback Shelley came from Utah I don't I don't know why those kids ended up Missouri State who knows what Petrino's doing but I think they're they're a lot better than UC Davis who, who had already lost a couple games in the spring to other FCS opponents so now they they got their work cut out for him. I mean Tulsa's decent defensively I will give them credit for that they are and I just I I struggle to believe they're gonna be able to run the football against Tulsa when they couldn't do it against Missouri State. So that's whew. we're already we're only into week one, Colby, and I already have big, 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 big concerns. But it's not, um, good.
0: It's not good. And th- I'm sure that there's somebody out there who thinks that we're overreacting and we're not seeing any of the positives. And I really would love to to know the positives. I mean, yeah, the defense was good. It's it was Missouri State. They were also missing some throws. I mean, there was one that hit a guy right in the hands, you know, right in the chest for a first down uh, in the second half, and it just hit his hands and went to the ground. There were a couple throws that were missed. It's I don't know. It's Are we being overly, overly negative? Maybe. But I think the performance Saturday combined with the fact that we don't know If Spencer Sanders is healthy or if he's had COVID, we don't know if he's just in the protocol. Uh, We don't know his vaccination status, which, you know, you can have your own opinions, but if you're not vaccinated, then you are going to have less of a chance to be on the field for your team. That's just, that's not my opinion. That's a fact based on the COVID protocols that are in place. If you're not vaccinated, you have less of a chance to be on the field week in and week out on Saturdays. So I, are we being negative? Yes. Is it warranted? I, I think so, yes, because there are a lot more question marks uh, than there are answers at this point.
1: Can they get Brennan Presley the football? This is my last thing before we can move on. Uh, but, no, apparently. Like, he's your most electric player you have, and whether that's, you know, jet sweeps or, you know, the reverse with, with Braden Johnson or I mean, you got to get the football in your playmaker's hands, and they did a great job of that early with Tay Martin, who's just, you're right, just. God, he looked awesome. He was just mossing dudes. And the touchdown he caught, he got interfered with big time and still caught it. Uh, got interfered with later in the game too. But I just, that's that's one of my biggest takeaways too, is, you know, Dominic Richardson doesn't get a carry. I mean, for, for a running game that was non-existent and, you know, Gundy talked up how he had four running backs, you know, Ellie Brown one getting it done. Like, can you not throw in Dominic Richardson get him a carry or two? And can you not get the football to Brennan Presley? I just... I've talked about this for years about how underutilized some of their skill players have been, Tay Martin, especially last year, but uh, they better be getting the football into into Brennan Presley's hands next week, or they're going to have some similar struggles.
0: Yeah, a couple things that you touched on there. Number one, I think that we got a very clear picture of what the running back situation is. It's LD as the one. It's Jalen Warren as the two. It's Desmond Jackson as the three. And it's Dominic Richardson as an insurance policy. That's what what I was uh, seeing on Saturday. Um, As far as receiving goes, Brennan Presley touched the ball four times. Four catches for 68 yards. Uh, He also had three punt returns, one kickoff return. Uh, None of those were too crazy. The kickoff return got out to like 36, I believe. But, I mean, four touches, four touches for Brennan Presley when nothing is going right. I mean, I understand sometimes early in the season, teams try to be intentionally vanilla and not give too much away. You were really in a battle with an FCS school. I just can't see why things were not – uh, opened up a little more in the second half. And I don't know if opened up is even the right word because they were taking some deep shots, but there was no creativity whatsoever. I mean, it was just very bland. It was handed off two yards, throw a go route, throw a curl. It was just, it was very bland. There were no efforts to get the ball in Brennan Presley's hands in creative ways. We saw one reverse all game, and it was the longest rush of the game for Oklahoma State when they went misdirection. I mean, what's wrong with trying to uh, to fool your opponent into thinking you're going one way and then you go the other way? I, it, it works so often, and you run it one time all game. Uh, I don't know. They just – Didn't seem like they were doing very much to keep Missouri State off guard. It seemed like they lined up very much in a standpoint of we're better than you are. We're going to beat you off the ball. We don't have to get creative. And even when that wasn't working, I didn't see the creativity come. So, uh, yeah, a lot of problems. And one of them is the inability, again, to get the ball into the hands of one of your best playmakers.
1: It's scary to think what OSU's program would look like without Jim Knowles and what he's done on defense because the offense is just... A total quagmire. You're right. Uh, let's get to Bullets and BBs, uh, Colby. This is our, our first uh, Bullets and BBs segment of the, of the football season it's where we give out you know positive helmet stickers, negative helmet stickers. I'll, I'll kick us off with with a bullet. I freaking love Malcolm Rodriguez. He He's become one of my favorite players in a long time at Oklahoma State. I think he leads the country in tackles now after week one. There was a period of time where Um, Missouri State had a crackback blocker coming at him from behind. The guy got penalized for it. But Rodriguez catches him out of the corner of his eye right before he's about to get laid out and, like, gives it back to him as he's getting hit to where they both (laughs) go toppling down. The guy is just tough as nails. He's fast. He's a sure tackler. And I tweeted out this this clip uh, from Matt Littleton. Uh, He noticed Malcolm Rodriguez did a hip toss. He, he absolutely launches this Missouri State offensive lineman, who outweighs him by seventy-five pounds, and just hip tosses him with ease. Just throws him around like a rag doll. So I, I got to give a bullet for for Malcolm Rodriguez. He was all over the field, and he's just a great football player and one that uh, Oklahoma State's going to miss when he's when he's gone.
0: Yeah, Malcolm Rodriguez is a really good one. Uh, I I could give it to Malcolm Rodriguez. I could give it to Jim Knowles. I'll give it to the one guy on the offensive side of the ball that I was really impressed with. And it's the guy that I've been really confident in all off season. Tay Martin absolutely looks the part. He was the one guy who put up a good stat line six for one Oh seven and a touchdown. It could have been more than that. Had he not, you know, the, the touchdown that turned into a field goal in the fourth quarter there, that was a great catch. Then he hit the, the ground and the ball came loose. Also. To all the fans who were booing in the stadium on Saturday, that was an incomplete pass 10 times out of 10, eight days a week. He was laying on the ground out of bounds with the ball on his stomach and neither hand touching it. That's, I mean, that's (laughs) clear as day an incomplete pass, but the crowd lost their minds because he had a foot down before he lost control. Um, So, yes, it was was definitely an incomplete pass, but I thought Tay Martin looked great, um, and he's going to get my bullet for week one.
1: Yep. That's a great one. He was awesome. And he he was dealing with some adversity too. His family had to evacuate New Orleans. They went to his uh, relatives in Houston. They, they lost the roof of their house uh, and to the Hurricane uh, Ida. So he he really performed well in a, in a really a, a trying week for him and, and his family. And he just, all, all the talk we've heard all, all off seasons, legit. He, he looks the part and uh, he seems to be the, the number one receiver that you predicted. And Brendan presley has got a long way to go. If I'm going to be right about him being the number one receiver, they got to get him the, the football. So that, that's a great bullet. Uh, my BB, we've talked about it. I, I'm tired of excuses for, for Casey Dunn. I, I, I like Casey Dunn. I've played golf with Casey Dunn in the, in the Gundy Invitational in the summer. He's a great guy, great receivers coach, has been a, a long-tenured assistant in Oklahoma State. But there's a different level of pressure and accountability when you're calling the plays. And we're, we're there. It's he's had enough runway. He's had, he's had a lot of things to deal with. I understand, but we're out of excuses. I mean, you cannot be scoring this few points against an FCS school. You cannot be having the worst offense since Mike Gundy's first year and expect to keep your job as the offensive coordinator. It's just, it's a results-based business. And the results simply have been not only not there, they've, they've regressed. This OSU offense has regressed significantly. Since he's become the offensive coordinator, I mean, for all the Mike Yurcich haters, Oklahoma State had the country's leading passer in Mason Rudolph. They had the country's uh, leading receiver in James Washington. I mean, they had the nation's leading rusher with Chuba Hubbard under Mike Yurcich. I mean, let's let's face facts here: the the production's not there, and it's it's put up or shut up time.
0: Yeah, it absolutely is. I kind of bounced around with where I wanted to go here. I thought about the offensive line, and then I'm like, you know, I I don't know if I'm going there. I thought about Shane Illingworth, but, you know, he's your backup quarterback. Some people think he should be the starter. Those people are wrong. He should not be the starter. He's your backup quarterback. He was not great, but I don't think that he's totally solely the reason why things didn't go well on Saturday. Uh, I don't like to do this if if I have another option to go. Carson, I think I'm going the same route you went. I think I'm giving it to Casey Dunn. He gets the BP for this week. I mean, at some point, where does the buck stop? The, the buck stops with the offensive coordinator uh, because we're seeing a completely inept offense right now. I like Casey Dunn, just like you like Casey Dunn. When he got hired, we were both happy. We, we were glad that Casey Dunn got the job as the O.C. because Oklahoma State was going to lose him. And then not only were they able to retain him, but he got a promotion that we both thought was well-deserved for all the time that he put in at Oklahoma State. We thought that, you know, he's learned under several of the best offensive coordinators in the country, and this would be a seamless transition. And... It just has not been seamless. It's been filled with seams, Carson. Um, And for whatever reason, they went out Saturday against Missouri State, looked completely inept, scored three points in a second half of football, an entire half against an FCS opponent. It's, it's almost unfathomable the level that this Oklahoma State offense is at, considering what we've watched for the better part of the last 10 to 15 years. So uh, we're pretty much lockstep on this one. The buck stops in the coach's booth, uh, and it stops with the offensive coordinator. So I'll go Casey Dunn as well.
1: Yep, I'm with you. That's a good one. So I have to put this debacle behind them because they got Tulsa next week. Uh, let's do the Chris's University Spirit uniform review brought to you by Chris's University Spirit, your one-stop cowboy shop. Be sure to shop at chrisuniversityspirit.com. There was not a lot of university spirit on campus after that game against Missouri state, but be sure to stop over by Chris's. If you're going to Hideaway. it's a great place. And we appreciate them sponsoring the podcast. I, I forgot Colby. Sometimes the season openers, they don't go white, orange, white. They go white, orange, orange. They did that against Tulsa a couple of years ago. when, when Tyron Johnson scored uh, that touchdown, uh, I recall, but I, I kind of liked the white, orange, orange. Did you? Is it it all orange affair?
0: I did like the white, orange, orange. I thought it looked really good. I thought that they might go kind of unique uh, for the opener and, and throw some black in there. But they usually save that for a little bit later in the season. I thought they looked good in white, orange, orange. And I'll go ahead and throw out my uni Heisman from Saturday. Uh, I keep doting on this guy. I probably will be for most of the season. I mean, Tay Martin just looks like an absolute <laughs> monster out there. He, 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 he looks the part. He just physically, he's one of the get off the bus guys and the corners think to themselves, man, I've got to cover that guy. I've got to keep him in front of me. I've got to try to high point the football over that guy. That's what he looks like getting off the bus. So he gets my uni Heisman for Saturday.
1: Uh, he's worthy of the number one. That's for sure. He's the number yep. one receiver looking a little Dez like in the number one uh that's a that's a great selection i'm going with Jalen warren for my uni heisman because he, he switched his numbers on us under the radar he was number 22 <laughs> all fall camp and i looked at number seven i'm like did ld brown change his number back to seven because i know he went switched to zero and then sure enough it was Jalen warren i thought he looked he looked he looked pretty electric at times when he got the football so you can you can see why he was getting a lot of rave reviews in camp but i just I've always liked the number seven. Uh, anytime you can switch from to a single digit, it's a great look. So I'll give him credit for the uh, the number switch, even though it confused me for a, a half a second every time he touched the football. So I'll go with Jalen Warren. Uh, what do you think of the helmet, uh I, They used when they first introduced the pistol Pete on the side of the helmet years and years ago. I dubbed it Little Bow Pete because the sticker looked like one you get at Chris's that you could put on like your binder or like your your bike. Just a tiny little Pistol Pete sticker. They, they've improved the size to where it's not like the, the the chrome Pete that takes up the entire helmet. It's like it's the perfect size. So they've they've really refined the uh, the Pistol Pete helmet decal. I thought it looked pretty good.
0: Yeah, I thought it looked pretty clean. I uh, I like Pistol Pete, regardless of what any polls may say about him being the worst mascot in the country. That's such a trash poll. Pistol Pete is Pistol Pete is unique. Pistol Pete is awesome. Everyone loves Pistol Pete. Whoever was uh, interviewed for that poll is trash because Pistol Pete's awesome. Also, uh, they kept putting the guy on the Jumbotron in the stadium on Saturday. No idea who it was. If you're listening, shout out to you. He had a shirt on uh, that said, America's worst mascot was good enough for your mom. And I I got, a good, <laughs> I got a good chuckle out of that t-shirt. Oh, my. In the front row. Yeah.
1: Shout out Pistol Pete, always. Yeah, I don't know if you can get those at Chris's University Spirit. Or not, but that's a heck of a t-shirt. I think that was uh, custom made. That poll was so, and look, koco i think is the one that that put it out on social media that had to, do, had to go viral but i didn't read i didn't read the details but someone tweeted at me that the details were like they pulled like a tiny percentage of people in like one state or something like that it wasn't even like a, a real national poll so it was very very misleading because everyone knows pistol is awesome
0: what you're telling me is that they went to Norman on the first day of classes <laughs> and they interviewed four freshmen and asked them what the worst mascot in the country was. And they were like, pistol Pete.
1: Yeah. And to be clear, channel five didn't run this poll. They just, they ran the story that included the polls. So yeah, that, that must've been where they, where they pulled them. So. All right, Colby. Uh, one more thing, I guess Mike Gundy talked a lot about on Monday, the, the conference realignment news and, He kind of hit on what you and I have talked about with Nebraska, how getting away from Texas has really hurt them. And I believe Marshall Scott posted the stat. They had 23 Texas players when they left. Now they have 10. And Gunny just talked a lot about how that's hurt Nebraska. And and he he talked a lot about just how he thinks Oklahoma State's going to be okay with with conference realignment, which I agree with. And as I said last week, this new Big 12, whenever it comes to fruition, is – Already better than the Pac 12. Because speaking of BBs, I'm going to give a BB to the Pac 12, who went six and six. Uh, Washington lost to like Montana. Uh, Kansas State freaking dump trucked Stanford, embarrassed them. I can go on and on, but they went six and six.
0: I got it right here. Kansas State beats Stanford twenty-four to seven. Purdue beats Oregon State thirty to twenty-one. Montana beats Washington thirteen to seven. Nevada <laughs> beats Cal twenty-two to seventeen. BYU beats Arizona twenty-four to sixteen. And Utah State beats Washington State twenty-six to twenty-three. And Oregon barely escapes Fresno State. The Pac-Twelve is fine, Carson. They are fine.
1: They need to do nothing. They're just gonna sit on their hands and be be haughty and hoity-toity and continue to play irrelevant football so again i for all the people that were concerned about the big 12 losing their power five status and i was too i think adding these four teams uh solidifies things now it might be a holding pattern for the next three four years and then something else happens but there's no way that they're going to be viewed lesser than the pac 12 i mean and look, that's before i even get to the acc who's clemson and a bunch of nobodies so i i think the big 12 will maintain their status as a power five, which is really all you could ask for in this. And, you know, adding BYU, I didn't realize this BYU is going to have the biggest stadium in the conference. I think they have 65, 66,000 people in their stands. So that that's a legitimate ad. And I I like all the other schools as well. So
0: uh, so, so for the record, they're going BYU, Cincinnati, Houston, UCF, Tulane and Missouri state, right?
1: (laughs) Uh, Tulane looked pretty solid. Uh, so, Missouri State, but no, I don't think they're going to add them anytime soon. Can <laughs> <laughs> uh, you imagine yeah. if OU would have lost that game I mean, for all the hype they've had all year?
0: Carson, OU and OSU both had their defenses on the field inside three minutes to go in the game, needing a stop to win the football game. It was the most bizarre Saturday for Oklahoma and Oklahoma state. It, and, and both had big leads. Oklahoma state was up by 20 to nothing in the first half. Oklahoma had a big lead that they tried to throw away to Tulane. They even let them recover an onside kick. I mean, it was just, it was a complete disaster. Both state schools could have lost games in which they were favored by 30 or more points with two minutes to go in the fourth quarter. It was a weird Saturday.
1: Yeah. And Oklahoma was saved by their kicker. He, broke a record he's the first college kicker ever to kick 350 plus yarders and if they didn't have that who knows what would have happened? so yeah, yeah. you're right it was a crazy opening weekend hopefully oklahoma state looks a little better <laughs> by a little i mean a lot better against tulsa next week or this weekend and uh colby we'll, we'll get back with you on thursday or friday to, to preview uh, osu tulsa
0: sounds good we'll see uh, we'll see how optimistic we're feeling come into the week go folks.